Howdy, this is Jake Pryor, and you're listening to episode 11 of Origin Point. In this episode, we get the chance to speak with Winston Moy about how he got his start with desktop CNC machining and where it has led him. talking about transportation we always do a little bit of an icebreaker so that our audience can kind of get an understanding of your personality and that is what is your mode of transportation so you're driving a car right now across the country what are you driving so i'm driving a subaru forester and i it's a car i picked up back in 2015 because i wanted a car that could go semi-fast because i was uh, i just started watching like top gear and i was getting into cars and stuff so i wanted something uh, with at least 220 horsepower and so Subaru made the Forester which is one of the few cars under 40 grand that you can get that has like an upgraded engine and so that does about 250 horsepower and I've taken that thing on the racetrack about three times um, I, I have a friend a former co-worker who um, he used to be the president of the Jersey Shore Region Porsche Club of America and so when I passed by his desk, I saw, like, trophies and, like, a track map. And it's like, hey, you, like, race your car or something? And he was like, yeah, I do. Like, and we, we have an event once a year, and it's open to any car. It doesn't have to be a Porsche. And so I joined him, and I, I caught the, the driving bug. And uh, so I got a car that could, A, haul lumber, and B, haul it around the track. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm driving. But it's, I mean, just over the... the I've driven close to 1,900 miles now, and the the refinement, the polish on it isn't quite what I want, so I want to upgrade to something a little newer, a little smoother and quieter. Um, I don't know. This this road trip is, is sort of tipping the scales for me, because I, I used to think, like, oh, I want a fast, like, sporty car, like, more handling, like, less comfort, and now it's, like, the, the, the pendulum swinging in the other direction. Like, I want something I can cruise around in for hundreds of miles, like, comfortably. <laughs> so um, it, it started as a I need a car that'll do everything uh, mentality and now it's sort of swinging back into the I want a car that I can take on adventures thing uh, but I mean the, the best thing to do is have two cars but until I get settled down this is sort of my one size fits all compromise car I like it yeah it definitely seems like a very uh, versatile vehicle yeah. for all of the things that you're looking for well um would you? Uh, how would you describe your interest to someone who may have never heard of uh, CNC machining? Um, so, a CNC machine, for those who don't know, which I think it's a small percentage at this point, but it's basically what would happen if you gave like a robot a Dremel. Computer control, carve anywhere you want. Um, but I got into that because I wanted to make things, and I didn't have any skill with my hands. So in grad school, I had like a, a little studio apartment, and I had like a little hacksaw, a power drill, and a Dremel, and I was like, I want to make stuff, but I can't really because I, like, with these tools available at my disposal, it's like you can make really small things, and um, usually, like, with a Dremel, it's like hand controlled, you're like carving things. I just, I didn't have the skill to be able to make anything useful with it. And I was watching, like, Bob Claggett, Steve Ramsey, and, like, uh, Jorg Sprav, like, making these, like, elaborate contraptions, and I was like, how can I do that? And as an engineering student, I was like, well, there's this technology that takes all the skill out of it. Uh, little did I know it would be its own rabbit hole of learning. But um, I was like, I can have a robot fill in for my, my manual deficiencies. And so I, I bought a CNC back in uh, 2013. It arrived 2014. It was a sort of a Kickstarter thing. And uh, when it finally arrived, I just I started making stuff. Um, and it's been a continuous learning journey since then of just trying different projects, learning new techniques, and uh, just generally having fun. So, it's awesome. That's great. So you talked a little bit about how you first got interested in CNC work. Um, how did you acquire your first small-scale CNC? And let's talk a little bit about how many you actually have now. So, way back in 2013 I was doing some basic research online because it was kind of new like 3d printers had kind of been a thing they're kind of going mainstream like at that point I think they just started like being sold at like staples and like mainstream stores but CNC was very much like a, a DIY like wild frontier of hackers making these things 
and so I was looking online, looking through articles on like top 10 like DIY CNCs, and the Shape Elko 2 came up, and I had seen that it was version 2, not version 1, so I knew it had a little bit of history, and so I took a chance, I, I ordered that, and um, I was in sort of, it was a pre-order phase thing, so I was in batch 1, and uh, Inventables was doing the fulfillment for that machine. And so I think in November, they're like, hey, we're running a little behind. If you want to jump on batch two, um, you can, we'll give you like a $50 gift card or something. And I was like thinking, nah, I'll stick in batch one. And so I, I got my machine in January of 2014. Um, I had basically the first unboxing video out there and things sort of just went from there. Uh, but it was, it was really just me trying to find a machine that could do with a useful workspace. So a lot of the machines that were out there previously was like eight inch workspace, like six inch, like little, like tiny, like old MakerBot, what was it, like Cupcake or something? Yeah. Like that small size machine. And I, I want something at least a foot wide, foot deep. And so the Shape Oko fit the bill and that's how I ended up with that machine. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I've, I've, I've actually learned more since I bought my uh, my X-Carve, yeah. I, I bought my X-Carve and then immediately found out that the Shapeoko 3 is basically made by Carbide. <laughs> I was yeah. like, and I was like, oh, okay, that's why they're the three. And uh, it, it's been an eye-opening experience since mm -hmm. um, kind of diving into it now, a few years later. You said 2013, and I didn't really start looking into it until uh, Christmas last year, mm -hmm. I guess, is when I got mine. So. Yeah. Um, but they've, they've kind of like, at least the market's sort of stabilized. Like, you know who see, the players are. And yeah. It's not like if someone puts out a CNC, like, you have no idea if it's going to work or not. Like, the, the technology's pretty pretty proven out at this point. Yeah. You yeah. have a controller, you got separate motors, and, and the, the software is even pretty understood now because you've got, like, Fusion 360 and yeah, that, um, all that's, those other offerings. That's been the one that I've been using lately a lot was Fusion 360, although um, there is something to be said for being able to open up Easel and, and put something in there real quick, uh, just a shape, you know, to know it's accurate. Yeah, <laughs> be I mean, quick. for a lot of the stuff people are doing, like, um, easel, carbide create, um, mm -hmm. mesh cam. It's just open an SVG and just start cutting. So it's a really quick process. Yeah. Um, to get back to your the other part of the question of how I got so many CNCs, um, <laughs> after I had the Shapeoko 2 for a couple months, the creator, Ed Ford, he messaged me and he was like, hey, I like what you're doing. Just, just keep on doing it, sort of just to encourage me to keep going along cool. with it. Wow. And, uh, That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's cool to get that kind of recognition and... Um, Fast forward about a year or two, and the Shape Oko 3 is getting ready to come out. Uh, he emails me and he's like, hey, I've, I've got this in the works. You want to come over to my shop and, and film a promo video for it? Awesome. And I was like, I've made it. Uh, <laughs> so he, he flew me out to Illinois. We, we shot a little trailer for the machine. And a couple months later, he sends me one of those. Um, and so that then I had the Shape Oko 2 and the Shape Oko 3. Um, and so I, I just started made an assembly video for it, started doing different projects on it, really fell in love with it. Um, they The year after, they came out with the expanded version, so the XL mm. uh, and the double XL. Uh, so he sent me one of those, and uh, so then I had three CNCs. And then I got the Nomad. So Carbide3D is sort of the parent company of the Shapeoko brand and the Nomad CNC, which was its own Kickstarter. And so they, they combined forces after the Shapeoko name left Inventables. Yeah. And so... Um, Ed emailed me, he was like, hey, we've got a scratch and dent nomad that we can't sell, do you want it? Sure, I'll take it. Awesome. Um, and so I acquired a nomad, and so that raised the, the family to four CNCs. And at that <laughs> point I was like, this is getting to be a little too much. So I gave the Shape Oko 2 to a, a teacher friend, oh, awesome. so he can just play around with it and get a little more utility out of it. Yeah. Because as a learning machine, it, even though it's not like super powerful, it still lets you cut out ideas that you have in your head. Yeah, and so I figured that would be a good way to, to give it a little more use in its life. Definitely, um, it's it's a great starter. Yeah, for, to to learn how the mechanics of it. Mm -hmm. And then uh, about a less than a year ago, um, the Autodesk Cam Challenge. So it's a thing that Autodesk hosts, and it's like basically a competition online. Mm -hmm. You they give you a theme, and you you upload a project, and. Uh, one of the raffle prizes for the uh, contest last year was a pocket NC five axis CNC. 
Yeah. As luck would have it, I won that machine. <laughs> so I, I just I added another CNC. So I, I went from having four CNCs, giving one away, getting a new CNC, and going back up to four. So, uh, so it's no shortage of, uh, yeah. of size machines that you could use. <laughs> CNC rich. Yeah. I used to say that I had the world's greatest living room machine shop, but then <laughs> just cutting, I, I started cutting like aluminum and like different exotic woods and doing that on carpet just isn't a, a fun experience so I, can that. I moved to the garage and i lost that title oh <laughs> well um did you did you have any goals of like having a small scale manufacturing when you started or did you have like a different goal in mind i really just had no idea what i was doing like i started i made the unboxing video which is honestly a pretty boring video but it, it put information out there Mm -hmm. And that's why people started gravitating to my channel, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do with that channel I was just it was an outlet for my creativity. Okay, and I didn't realize that it could actually help people um, So back then I was just like, oh, this is cool I'm gonna make it and share the process with no expectations beyond that and then it started getting traction and people started like Hey, that's a great idea or hey, I learned that tip. Thanks a lot and that's that's when it started snowballing into the, the thing it is now which is still a pretty modest channel but now I've sort of shifted focus to like inspiring people to get into CNC and showing them that it's not this crazy like really difficult to learn process. Yeah. And the, the maturity of the software kind of helps. Mm -hmm. um, but for a lot of people, it's just they don't realize what they can do, um, like what the machine can do, and what they're capable of doing with these like tools that are now really easy to use. Yeah. The the, the the cost has come down quite a yeah, bit too so it's, it's more within reach it's so much more approachable for like mm -hmm. the average consumer and so I, I sort of just adopted the mission statement of just inspiring and educating people because um, I think uh, Bob Claggett mm -hmm. he said that you sort of need a, something to keep sight on because if this becomes your daily grind unless you have a motivating factor that's beyond just like hey I need to make a living eventually mm -hmm. you're going to burn it and so for me, it's yeah. the underlying thing that I always want to do is teach people. And so at the end of the day, even if like, like I'm tired of a project, I'll still push through because I want people to learn from that process. Yeah. And overcoming the problems that you probably have with that really yeah. helps people too. Because I mean, I know I run into several problems on the machine and then with a quick search, it's like, oh, so somebody else has had this problem and they've solved it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it definitely helps. I'm in a weird position where I don't, specifically make videos like that like how mm -hmm. to fix like oh your your cnc starts cutting in the wrong spot um really basic things like that which i'll start doing once i'm at carbide 3d mm -hmm. but for now it's just like i'm i'm not just showing you like a project i'm sort of informing you on the process like hey this is mm -hmm. where i started this is the idea this is some of the things we ran into along the way that caused problems that we had to fix and this is how we ended up where we are and so it's, it's that uh, that journey from start to finish that I feel like I'm showcasing more than just um, like a simple like tips video or like yeah definitely it's, it's definitely a, a entire project start yeah. to finish and it's not like I'm, a tutorial yeah there, there are twists and turns that happen and it's that narrative that I want to share more than anything else and I think that narrative really brings home the fact that you know a lot of people I feel like they think when with CNC's if it doesn't go right the first time they're gonna break something and it's gonna be detrimental you mm -hmm. know and cost them ton, a lot of money and uh, as long as it's not a very fancy bit it's generally gonna cost you about 10 bucks when you crash the machine <laughs> yeah it's, it's not the end of the world like, yeah I've, I've crashed my sh machine like dozens of times it Nothing's broken. I've broken the occasional end mill though, but it's, yeah. it's a really small price to pay for what you can do and what you'll eventually learn. It's an educational tax. Yeah. That's pretty much what it is. <laughs> I love how when I was a kid, like computers were just starting to really get into normal households where, you know, like maybe middle income families were able to start affording like a Packard Bell or whatever. And here now we're talking about kids being able to get their hands on automation equipment like 3D printers and CNCs and the fact that there's people out there like you who are interested in showcasing that is, is really awesome that, you know, now a whole generation of people are going to learn how to do something so much easier than maybe we, we experience. I mean, if you just think about it, you know, your Carver, is your uh, toddler is going to grow up with a 3D printer in the house. 
and mine is gonna throw up, grow up with a, a a CNC in the house. So it's it's very interesting to to have that difference. It's just like when you know our video game home consoles were introduced, and now it's <laughs> but now it's a whole different aspect of you know, getting out of the getting out of the house, so to speak. <laughs> and it's yeah. it's also um, I interviewed one of the uh, the founders or creators of the other mill. And mm-hmm. she phrased it in a way that sort of made me realize how important this is. Um, all the jobs of tomorrow are going to be digital in some way. Mm-hmm. And unless you have that education, you're not preparing the kids of today for the jobs of tomorrow. And yeah. so making this mainstream, making it approachable and accessible is really important if you want to prepare them for like the kinds of manufacturing yeah. jobs and engineering positions that you're going to see 10 years from now. Yeah, um, Everything's going in that direction. I mean, there, there will still be manual processes, but if if you want to participate in the manufacturing of tomorrow, like you kind of need to understand digital fabrication and wh- and where it's coming from. Because yeah. I mean, the if you think about it now, the the before these homemade machines came about, really, um, I mean, back when I was in high school, I mean, I worked at a machine shop and sheet metal shop, and those machines there, are the the Haas machines and everything, mm-hmm. they're tens of thousands of dollars you know yeah. i mean s- some of them hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars and and just completely out of reach of the of the common consumer and so now that the that they are becoming smaller and more affordable um in the in the three digit to four digit range um is just really great i think because it just it opens that door like you said of being yeah. able to educate yourself more and educate future generations on you know how does how does this process work how does uh you know Working in a, uh, a three-dimensional space um, is just incredible, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And like going back to your computer analogy, like a decade or two ago, yeah, we were just starting to get computers in our house, but we didn't really know what what that would lead to, what they were mm-hmm. capable of, what doors that would open, and then the internet came along. And so yeah. even right now, like we're getting 3D printers, we're getting CNC machines, but we don't really fully know the impact that's going to have on how it changes like the, the maker community. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it, we could turn into, like, a distributed, like, personal industrial rev- revolution where, like, you have, like, Thingiverse and you share files or you, you manufacture things. Um, there's a lot of, like, small businesses where it's, like, you have basically turned into a sign shop or mm-hmm. um, you can take on small prototyping jobs. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it sort of um, takes takes a lot of the, uh, the capability from traditional large industrial shops, job shops, and like professional machine shops. And it brings it down to like, hey, you can just go to your neighbor and be like, hey, do you need anything? Oh, you broke this, let me, let me make it for you. Yeah. And so it, it opens up a lot of cool possibilities to sort of bring, bring stuff to the community scale as opposed to like the large corporation scale. It also revolutionizes a lot of the other handmade things too, right? Like you could do leatherworking and buy yourself a, a laser machine and personalize it now. So you've not only been able to make something with your hands, but you've also been able to brand it a specific way. With my pottery, the reason I got a 3D printer was because I wanted to make my own stamps. I didn't want to um, have to order them from people. So I, I bought a 3D printer and now I can do that in my house, which means that I've elevated my ability to merchandise to a, a point that makes things a lot more customizable and really has grown my business to a point where I, I don't think that I would be selling what I'm selling now uh, to the to this larger community if I hadn't taken the steps to, to try and do something with um, 3D printing. Yeah, that's, that's cool. It's neat to see how all the different, you know, 3D printing and, and, um, and CNCs are able to uh, add to certain professions you know like i would have never put uh a 3d printer with a pottery studio that doesn't i mean at, at first glance it's like why <laughs> and then and then you really look into it and there's tons of uses not only for using it stamps and things like that but actually i found that uh there is one company that actually has 3d printed pottery um and so they 3d print the pottery put it in a kiln and then fire it and i'm just like that's you know it's 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 crazy um it's very interesting to see how they're how different different um, uh, industries are taking this technology and using it in such different ways. You know, using it for uh, concrete or for pottery or uh, you know, subtractive uh, manufacturing, such as you know, using it for wood. 
things like that. It's just it's really it's really interesting. So Winston, I know what happened with me when I bought a three D printer was a lot of people were like, "Oh, you have a three D printer? Can you make me this?" Have you received any any random crazy requests for commission pieces based on your CNC experience? Usually they're not too crazy. Um, like my roommate, he was proposing to his girlfriend, so he needed a ring box, and um, one of my uh, guys, former coworkers, needed like some coasters, so like I, I prototyped some for him. Um, so those are pretty simple. Um, so locally, hasn't really changed my relationship with people, but because of the whole YouTube thing, I've got people asking me like, "Hey, can you like prototype this part on a five-axis machine just so I can see it, or can you like make like this or that?" Um, one of the cooler projects was um, an audio company had an award plaque idea that they wanted to, to make and it's, it's one of those things where a sign maker is not going to be able to do it a mm. pure, pure traditional woodworker is not going to be able to do it and so you kind of want a jack of all trades and I guess I, I never asked them how they found me but I'm assuming that just my, my odd eclectic portfolio of just different projects um, made me qualified to take on sort of an open-ended creative prototyping yet still production job and so i guess just the practice of just trying different things builds up your 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 toolkit of, of different techniques you can pull out of your hat and uh, i guess that sort of gives you a unique skill set and makes you qualified to take on these jobs and uh, whenever people ask me like um, hey like how do you like get businesses and like how do you get orders and customers um it's it's really just having that portfolio showing people what you can do yeah um because if you're making a really simple thing like a sign like those are a dime a dozen you can like reach out to people on etsy or anything um or like just even regular sign shops but it's it's the creative stuff where they need to see that you can think through a problem and mm -hmm. um be creative about it that's i think where where the fun projects are otherwise you could just get a 3d printer or a cnc and just recreate everything you see on etsy um that that's a very commodity driven uh type environment but uh, for me it's it's the the creative stuff the stuff where you're almost more of an artist than an engineer mm -hmm. um, but you still need both of those skill sets uh that's that's where the fun is for me yeah i would i would definitely agree that it's it's kind of a, a crossbreed between engineering and artistry mm -hmm. because it's just it's it's very interesting the way so I, I believe that plaque that you were talking about was the oak yeah oak and, and acrylic and mm -hmm. with brass nameplates so yeah and so it was a, it was a mixture of materials yeah. as well as um, the challenge of having to know things like woodworking such as I, I remember you know, one of the challenges on that one was the oak splintering in a particular way yeah which uh, traditional CNC machine shop is not gonna they're 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 gonna be more um, used to aluminum not, yeah. <laughs> not they, wood they they, re they would really <laughs> probably not want to touch wood at all yeah especially in, in bigger machines mm -hmm. that use liquid cooling and things like that it just yeah. doesn't even make sense so it wouldn't go to a machine shop mm -hmm. um a like a cabinet shop or a wood shop probably wouldn't take it on just because it's, it's too small yeah mm -hmm. so you really need like sort of a a community scale manufacturing operation you find an individual or someone who um, is a jack of all trades and yeah. that's um i think there's a lot to be said for for being a generalist as bob puts it um, yeah. and that's that's sort of why I like uh, Duresta so much like he'll just fearlessly jump into anything different disciplines and, yeah. and learn about it and uh, that's like he's not an expert in any particular one field but because he's so versatile he can do so many different projects and that that's what really gives value to his name yeah I, I like that um, when if you if anybody follows Duresta and you watch his stuff it's like one minute he's at Walmart, the next minute he's cutting something on the CNC, then he's welding something, then he goes home to work on his canoe. <laughs> it's like, it's just to, to watch the variety of stuff, you know, it's like he's getting influence in one in one area and it carries over to all the different areas that he's working in, and the, but the results are, are, are stunning. And I feel like a lot of people think that he doesn't make mistakes on, on these things because they turn out so beautifully, but when you actually, if you, if, you, if you pay attention to some of his vlogs and things like that, on Duresta especially, he calls out a lot of his mistakes, yeah. But when you look at the thing, it, when you look at whatever the project is as a whole, it's very hard to see those those tiny those tiny mistakes um, because overall, it's like well, you still have a boat and it still floats. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the goal of the project. Um, 
So what? So far, what's been your favorite uh, part to make on the CNC? Out of everything I've done? Out of everything you've done up to this point. <laughs> That's a really tough one to answer. Because like, they're, they're all memorable in some different way. Mm-hmm. Um... I mean, I have some of my greatest hits in the car. Like, I've got my, my wooden lightsaber. Uh, I've got one of the uh, aluminum SpaceX drink coasters. Um, that the, the whole aluminum coaster thing, not the SpaceX one, mm-hmm. but that was, like, one of the most memorable learning experiences for me because I thought I could do basically all of it, like, cut all the aluminum blanks and send them off to get anodized and, and just find a laser venter. But it turns out that I couldn't cut the aluminum on my CNC because it was warped and you can't sort of hold it flat to be able to cut it well. And so that's when I started to seriously have to reach out to other uh, manufacturing services and industrial capabilities. Like I had to find a guy who did water jet. Mm-hmm. And that taught me a lot about um, just like being sort of a job shop and, and sort of going into the adult world of manufacturing and, and touching on like asking for these services and getting quotes and doing all the, the, the business stuff. Uh, that was like probably the, the closest I've come to being a job shop. And it taught me that that is a scary world and I'm not ready for it. Um, but I learned a lot from it. So that's the most memorable one. I wouldn't say it's my favorite though. Um, honestly, my, my favorite projects are the ones that solve a really practical problem. Um, so like having a branding iron or some, some work holding clamps, like the, the little toe clamps that I made um, mm-hmm. that used both the Shapeoko and the Pocket NC um, to put the, the little bevel on the front. Um, those practical projects are what I enjoy the most. Um, plus, like, the, the story arc, the narrative is like, hey, here's a problem. Hey, here's how I solved it. It's not like, oh, like, I've, I've got an idea to create some abstract thing that I probably don't need mm-hmm. and I'll make it. Um, but it's like at the end of the day you come out with something that's that's useful that improves your shop or your, your process your workflow and uh, um, it's I don't know, it's just having something useful at the end of the day um, is pretty gratifying that makes sense yeah def- definitely practical um, practical applications are always feel they feel very rewarding because mm-hmm. you actually have something you can use it you know and and it's just, every time you use it you're reminded of how much work went into that piece <laughs> yeah and like it just any headaches that you can remove from your process just are so much better so like shop organization is something i really want to tackle next and it's starting from basically scratch because i've just dumped yeah. my entire shop into a container yeah I, I can hopefully put in place like processes like getting a nice tool chest with all the drawers that i need to organize everything instead of just like clamping like all my clamps on one end of a workbench and, and just pulling them off as I need them. Like just really simple things I think would help me out a lot moving forward. Sounds like one one of the four machines can now uh, make you a clamp rack. <laughs> <laughs> the, the big one could, um, yeah. but I don't know. I, I just need to find time. I've that's, got so many project ideas I'm being pulled in different directions. Yeah. That's a little hard. That's one of the ones that you don't, you don't get more of is <laughs> time. That's a resource that's limited. It sounds like the storytelling part is a big thing for you in regard to your projects, but when you start to look at your process, is there a certain point in your process that's your most favorite place to be in? Is it, you know, brainstorming ideas, modeling, your programming, or doing the problem solving? Do you feel like any of those things is like where your sweet spot is in your wheelhouse? So my favorite part of the story is sort of the end, where, where I tie everything back together um, and sort of show like the conclusion of everything. Because like that sort of, like any problems you face, like they're all worth it because you got to this point. Um, for the audience, the part that I sort of emphasize the most is sort of the, the software side, the, the CAD, the CAM, because that's where a lot of the unknowns are. Like once you hit go on the machine, like it's sort of out of your hands. But before that point, like, how do you uh, create like the optimal toolpath to cut something out? How do you use tabs and and machine it in a way that, um, like, usually for, for thin parts, you want to machine inside out so that the outside is supported until the very last operation. Um, that's that's where a lot of the I think the the unknown knowledge is for people who are just starting out, um, just because the learning curve for for the software tends, especially Fusion 360, is really steep. Um, so that's where I spend the most of my time. Um, 
and both of those are very different from my conception of how to make a video when I first started. When I first started, I was like um, taking a lot of inspiration from like Laura Kampf, like the, the process, the end, so the, the, the physical, tangible parts that you can see, like the machining. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that all the knowledge um, is imparted in every other part of the video but that. So like I, I have all this footage of like the machining close-ups of like the end mill and like all the, the, the beautiful process shots. But really, it's just like, all right, we'll, we'll do like a 20-second montage and that's it because there's no knowledge being gained there. Yeah. So I spend the majority of my time detailing all the other parts of it. And visually, I mean, I'd love to just like focus only on the machining, but I sort of relegate that to Instagram. I'll make a little montage for that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's sort of what Bob says is like, like you, you show it the clip for as long as it takes you to explain what's happening and then yeah. you just have to move on. Yeah, that makes sense. Because uh, you, you gotta you gotta explain what's going on step by step, mm -hmm. and then uh, but there's no. I mean, once you've seen one cut on the table saw, you don't need the other ten. Yeah. Especially, <laughs> I don't have a cameraman. I can't make it dynamic. The only person who I'll give a pass on the whole like long process shots is Alex Steele. Okay, yeah, that's a that's a good point. <laughs> but. You know, um, I hear that Chuck's looking for a job now that David Picciuto has a new camera guy. So Yeah. <laughs> no, he got a new job, didn't he? Who's that? The David's uh, cameraman. Yeah, uh, but Chuck has always been his invisible camera guy. Okay. <laughs> He's, when he first started out and he just had tripods, yeah, it was all tripods. He would just talk to the camera and he would he named him the, the guy behind the, the, the tripod camera, Chuck. I think, I think Bob Claggett uh, borrowed him once. <laughs> It's been pretty funny. That's awesome. Do you do you have a dream project that you you've always wanted to do? Maybe something for aeronautics or or someone that you wanted to do a project for or with? Aerospace stuff is is really um, scary just because of the the precision that's required, and I don't think I could get there with my machines. As cool as it would be, um, I know that. Uh, SpaceX, they bought a couple nomads for like like really basic prototyping work. Mm -hmm. So it'd be cool to be able to like go in the factory and just like, even if I'm just like maintaining the machines for them, just a really basic thing <laughs> yeah. to get my foot in the door there would be cool. Would be but cool. the project I really want to do is a camper van. Because I've seen like all these people, like you cut out like the wall panels, like you make yeah. a cutout for like a sink if you want to plumb it up. Um, and I was just thinking like, I could totally use the CNC for all of that. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it's a really big project, it's a big undertaking, it takes planning. Um, but just the idea of making something that's yours and personalizing it, like, oh, I want to spec out like the solar system, I want to put like a three gallon water tank in it, um, I want a bed here, and, and just making it your own is yeah. just something that's like super appealing to me. And I mean, I, there, there's, there's a couple other makers who've done it, mm -hmm. um, and I just, I want to put my own twist on it and uh, make that idea my own. So that would be a long-term project I'd want to do, but I first need the space, the garage for that. Um, then I need to secure funding for a vehicle. And uh, to make that worthwhile, like I need to be settled down and be able to actually go on trips. So it's, it's not happening this year. It's not happening the first half of 2019, maybe 2020. We'll see. You gotta have goals. Yeah. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. An entire project based around all of your accrued knowledge. And it forces you to learn a bunch of disciplines, mm -hmm. like like the electrical, the plumbing, the, like really basic things. Like I, I wouldn't want to build a house or even just like a, a, a tiny house. Like it's just, yeah. it's a lot. But the, the camper van, it's such a small scale that like, all right, I can plumb up like the drain from a sink or I can like wire up um, solar panels to a DC converter to a battery pack or something. like like limited scope something that one person can safely approach and learn like it's like with a house like there's so many things that go into it and and the other issue with like a house is eventually you sell the house and so yeah. you ha you you're now liable and there's codes to meet and mm -hmm. things of that nature whereas with a camper van there's no codes to meet it's yeah. Solely your responsibility to plumb the sink correctly and yeah. not and not not flood the, not flood the compartment. And if you do flood the compartment, it's it's yours. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's that's kind of uh, actually um, I have a uh, a high low system in my truck in the in the back for camping. Mm -hmm. 
I'll have to I'll have to show you that. It's it's kind of neat, but um, that's something that I came up with long before uh, I was kind of into making, and I was more into camping. And um, it's it's been it's been fun, but I do think that a small small scale camper would be a lot of fun yeah. to, to to build. Um, oh, how how early on did you decide to start cataloging your journey with CNC machining? Did it start with that unboxing video? Or? Pretty much. Okay. Um, so I, I mean, I'd made a couple really basic videos before. Like, I'll just set up my laptop with a webcam, point it down at the table while I like do something and make a time lapse out of it. Uh, I had a couple of videos from like my college days that were pretty pretty shoddy in quality, but that's sort of how we got started. Yeah. And. Um, as a kid, like we'd go on family trips, and um, I'd have a camera, and I I was big into photography back then. But then, as as like the age of YouTube started coming around, you've got channels like Freddie W and like Devin Supertramp telling stories through a a visual medium that's not photography. Um, like, if if a picture is a thousand words, a video is a thousand pictures, and it just seems so much more um, liberating to mm -hmm. use that medium. So I I started trying to to have like make a point with my videos instead of just like showing like hey here's what I did at my desk in a day like to actually explain what's going on um, that's that's sort of the the fundamental transition that happened when I got the CNC so before that point the, the videos were pretty lame and after that point I, I started going in the direction of explaining everything and teaching um, so yeah that that was the turning point so how long did it take you to kind of find that turning point, to kind of find your voice, so to speak? Was it, did, you, did you kind of nail it down a couple of videos, or do you still feel like you're trying to find it? It took probably three years to really get confident with that. Okay. Um, I remember um, going to Bay Area Maker Fair, and the Carbide 3D group was out there at that time. And I was talking to Ed Ford, and I was like, yeah, like, I know, like, this type of content is necessarily like, probably like fusion or something mm -hmm. and like when i when i get better maybe i'll make a tutorial about it and he's like i think you're already qualified and that's when it sort of clicked in my head that like i don't need to be a master of everything but like if i can explain it well and concisely there's still a lot of benefit that people can get from it and so at that point i was like all right maybe i'll i'll embrace this aspect a little more and actually go out of my way to try and teach and help people instead of like sort of just sheepishly saying like alright I did this and it wasn't quite optimal but like you can do like whatever like mm. speak with a little more authority like don't mm -hmm. pretend you know everything but don't be afraid to lay out like the knowledge that you've gained and what you've done and what you can learn from it uh, and that that was really when I started thinking like alright maybe I will like actually actively try teaching people um yeah. Yeah. That's. I mean, because there's always somebody who knows more than you. Yeah. And there's always more people that know less than you. So I mean, to find. I mean, it, it's just there's always more people who are getting interested in finding, um, finding out about a particular interest or hobby. And mm -hmm. uh, but there's always going to be somebody who's the leading expert. And there, you know, there could be several leading experts, yeah. but um, those people generally are not the ones who sit down to educate more people. Yeah. Uh, you know. So. It's, it's great to have somebody that I think it's great to break that barrier and, mm -hmm. and you know there's, there's not a piece of paper that you need to help educate somebody on something I feel like I, yeah. I feel like that it comes with um, trial and error <laughs> that, that's a lot of it yeah and owning your experience, right? Like if you if you're really learning something then there's always takeaways to share and whether or not those takeaways are um valuable to somebody else is up to them right and you can't speak to someone else's experience you can really only speak to yours so if you can be confident in what you've experienced then the world's your oyster no, that's that's a big thing like just accepting that you don't have to be a master before other people can benefit from your experience so i think what a lot of people are going to be wondering is what the heck are you doing in texas can you elaborate a little bit on how you got from New Jersey to Texas and what's going on? Okay, so um, basically I got a new job working for Carbide 3D and so I wanted to move out to California where they're located. Um, they were okay with me like working remotely but um, I've always wanted to make that westward move and by always I mean like within the past couple of years. Um, just with like the whole interest in space and like nature and my friends taking me hiking 
California seemed like the best combination of all of that because like Vandenberg Air Force Base they launch rockets out of there you've got all those national parks so everything I want in my life is right there <laughs> and so I figured I gotta get out there um, I could just ship my car there but there are so many people who I've wanted to meet up with and like uh, do projects and like see the country that I was like this is my one chance to do it and so I set out on a it was originally about 3,000 miles just the direct shot across the country and whoever I can find along the way so much the better but then other people started cropping up um, like so in Houston uh, one of my friends who works at the Johnson Space Center uh, said she'd give me a tour so I was like well I, I can't pass that up I gotta pass through and I know there's so many other makers in the Houston area um, so that's why I came through Houston and then my podcast co-host Eddie Kramer lives in San Antonio so I was like well I'm gonna be right there I'll, I'll shoot over we'll, we'll record a podcast uh, and then I was like well I'm already this far in the country I've got a friend uh, from grad school who's in Colorado Springs he teaches at the Air Force Academy let me let me go up to Colorado because like, it's beautiful and I've, I, I've wanted to see the that state and then well, while I'm there Salt Lake City I know there's a couple makers there um, I'll stop there and hey in middle of November there's uh, Autodesk University a big convention where they, they sort of have a lot of teaching sessions, training sessions, and mm -hmm. like vendors come through and stuff. Well, Carbide 3D is going to be there, so I'm going to have to be there. So I'll just go from Salt Lake City to Las Vegas. <laughs> and, and timing all of it so that I was in Las Vegas at the right time for that, that was sort of like, that constrained my trip. Otherwise, mm -hmm. I would have like loved to spend another week. I would have liked to take the southern route, go through Atlanta, yeah. and meet up all the makers there, the Carolinas. Um, but then I, that would have been just a lot of zigzagging across the country. I feel like you're just one trip from Seattle away from just putting a giant W across America. <laughs> that, that, that'll probably happen in 2019, because uh, Joel Telling, 3D printing nerds up there, yep. he, I've got an open invite to visit his shop, um, Builderan. Um, yeah, Punish Props. Yeah. yeah. Like, a lot of a lot of cool makers up there. Definitely. So, yeah. I, yeah, to swing through uh, Portland, Seattle, is that's on the agenda but I, I kind of need to take a break after this trip. Yeah, it sounds like a long trip. What is the mileage now? Uh, I'm at about, I want to say 1850, and uh, 4400 is when I calculated to finish it, but that doesn't count like little loops around. Yeah. Like I calculated from Arkansas to Houston, mm -hmm. not Houston, not and then Houston. running around Houston, like doing all the loops around like <laughs> your place um, to, uh, I got uh, dinner with Evan and Caitlin, gonna go see Mike the Maker uh, in the afternoon mm -hmm. um, then there's the, the jet over east to uh, Johnson Space Center like there, there's probably gonna be a hundred miles here yeah I so. mean we've got three loops around the city I had to show uh, Heidi one day just how big the last loop is gonna be the the Grand Parkway which is uh, 99 mm -hmm. I think they estimate um, is it 12 to 15 hours or something like that to take the whole circle all the way around and just just to wind up right back where you are yeah. It's insane. Houston is very sprawled out, for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, it, it's very weird when I see other cities, and I'm like, you can get all the way across in 10 minutes? <laughs> so, well, that's cool. You'll be amazed uh, when you come to Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I the closest I've come is like maybe 10 miles from it, but yeah. I, at some point I, I feel like I need to. I, I, I would it, like to do another tour of the country at some point, Mm -hmm. But when I'm ready and with a less constrained schedule, because um, sort of with a camper van, yeah, that would be great <laughs> with space for a CNC. Go 2020. Um, Josh Price actually on their fifth wheel, they had a mm -hmm. um, he had the little hatch underneath the 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 bed in the back, and um, from the exterior of the fifth wheel, he was able to have a little shop. I don't know if you ever saw that, but I thought that was the coolest thing. He he had to cut down his, um, I think he had an X-car, he had to cut it down in one direction, but it fit perfectly, and he was able to put it on rails and actually had storage underneath and was able to put push it in like a drawer and pull it out to, to work. It was really cool. That's pretty cool. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it was really cool. So, um, uh, yeah, with my wife and I living in a travel trailer all of last year and then moving into this this house, it's been it's been a complete shock on square footage, mm -hmm. but I'm definitely looking forward to... Um, to, to maximizing my space even though people are like oh it's a two-car garage it's so huge and i'm just like yeah but i feel like it's so small because i i, I think of all the the different interests that i i have and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how can i maximize the space and not um you know not just waste it by yeah. by 
putting putting large things there. It fills up fast, and like yeah. God forbid, you find another interest like wel- welding or something like yeah. metalworking. That's that's going to be its own corner and take yeah. up a lot of room. <laughs> or pottery. We, uh, my wife and I, just lost a bid this week on a kiln. We almost got a really good deal in an auction for a kiln, <laughs> and I'm actually a little bit glad we didn't get it because I would have had to run more power to the garage. <laughs> so. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of different interests in the household, so um, it, it'll be it'll be very interesting to see how it grows over the next year and, and, and all of that. But yeah, cool. Well, um, did you have any other questions, Heidi? I do not, but I really appreciate you making us one of your stops on your journey. Uh-huh. Yeah, we really appreciate Happy it. Happy to be here. Um, well, if, uh, if people want to find out more about you or CNC machining, where can they find you? Uh, so if you just search for me on YouTube, uh, Winston Moy, or my channel name Winston Makes, uh, or WinstonMoy.com, or I'm also on Winston Makes on Twitter and Instagram, those are the best ways to get a hold of me, and, uh, otherwise, I don't know. We will definitely be looking forward to the camper van creation experience from you in 2020. Do you have anything uh, coming right now that we can look forward to besides uh, your traveling adventures? Um, so right now, the only projects on my agenda are from this this road trip. Um, but the the next video I think I'm going to release is a tour of the uh, Woodpecker Tools factory. Nice. It's kind of cool. Uh, they have a really high-tech operation going, like multiple vertical machining centers, like uh, turning centers. It's they're really high tech for like making woodworking tools so i think it's really cool um and then after that probably a video that i shot at uh bob's house oh cool so uh made him a branding iron and uh he had a lot of fun doing it so um that's pretty cool those two are are up next and uh hopefully hopefully they'll be out uh this coming week assuming i find the time to edit I've kind of scheduled myself super tight, so it's like yeah. I might have an hour or two in the evening. Um, so hopefully that works out. Well, you're in luck because chances are by the time this interview comes out, those videos will probably already be out. To Excellent. Be honest. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know uh, where you actually fall on our release schedule, but I'm pretty sure it's probably December. Okay. It's got to be because we do because uh, so you, um, you also have a podcast that you host too. We right? do the Digital Fabrication Experiment, a podcast about all things CNC. Um, and we do about every two weeks, mm-hmm. but like we've got a, a list of guest ideas that that's a couple episodes deep. So um, it's yeah, we we try and ration them out and like schedule them out and spread them out so they're not all at once. But uh, I'm sure you guys have the same thing going on. Yeah, it's very similar actually. I I, um, I messaged uh, Eddie right. Mm-hmm. I messaged him uh, the the week after y'all released your episode was the first week of our release i believe it was right around the same time it was around the end of june beginning of july and i thought that was just so funny i was like i was like what are the chances (laughs) podcast siblings yeah so yeah it's uh it's been very it's been very interesting and i've I've, I've enjoyed following along with y'all's uh y'all's podcast and kind of seeing how that that unfolds and uh getting to actually get acquainted with eddie i didn't I, i wasn't acquainted with him before and so it's been really interesting to see his work too yeah so connecting with him has been really interesting because i'm sort of linked in on like the maker side and like the builder's mm-hmm. side he's all like his interests lie more with the insta machinist community um so like he's like chatted up a whole bunch of like really cool professional mm-hmm. uh, machinists and that's a connection i didn't have so when we sort of came up with the idea of a podcast i was like oh i'm gonna like bring all like the makers into like the cnc world and he's like i'm gonna bring in all the super high-end professional machinists into our (laughs) podcast and i was like how do we like get that venn diagram to line up like of the makers Mm -hmm. and the machinists because that overlap is really small i think i'm Mm -hmm. i'm one of the few people who like have a foot in both worlds and so i came into it thinking like oh we're gonna make a podcast specifically for cncs and makers because like I listen to like woodworking podcasts. They'll touch on CNC once, yeah. and they're like, "All right, the audience doesn't want it anymore. We're gonna yeah. talk. Go back to like the regular traditional topics." And I was like, "No, why don't you embrace that?" Yeah. And so I wanted to make a podcast all about CNC, um, and so I didn't really have an idea how to do that. But meeting up with Eddie, he's like all about high end machining, which is not a bad thing because like um, through his podcast, I got a tour of the uh, NYC CNC shop. Um, so 
I don't know. It's it's cool making connections on that side of like the Instagram world. Yeah. Um, but like we both come from kind of different backgrounds. Like I, I mentioned a couple makers, and he was like, "I'm not subscribed to them." I'm like, "Mind blown." Yeah. Like I thought they were like <laughs> everything about like the social media world, but it, it's really funny when you talk to different people and uh, about how like what they're you know, like. Oh yeah, I watch I watch people on YouTube all the time, and you start throwing out some some bigger names, and they're just like, "Huh?" And then like you have to watch this very interesting <laughs> video. Like I don't. How do you not know about it yet? But yeah. Um, it's interesting to uh, Mikey the Maker is actually one of them too. You mentioned him to me, and he's locally based. Yeah. And he released his third YouTube video, mm-hmm. I think, this week. And um, I I had heard of him in passing, but I thought he was on a similar scale to me of mm-hmm. uh, you know small small maker uh, with a small following. And all of a sudden, I go over to his Instagram channel, and I'm like, he is not. <laughs> He's very but very good at his craft. It's all on Instagram right now. He's mm-hmm. just getting started in YouTube. Exactly. So it, I mean, it's it's interesting to see that this that uh, swing, I guess, so to speak, of, of yeah. interest of how he's releasing. But it, the the following that he has on Instagram is still huge. It's like just under a hundred thousand, mm-hmm. uh, like seventy thousand or something like that. It's it's a big following. Yeah. Um, and to to not have that to be completely off my radar, <laughs> it's just a shock. And I was like. I was like the, the amount of stuff that he's done in just really the past couple of years. Um, he he said in his most recent video he really only got started two years ago, two and a half years ago, and it's been it's been interesting to to look at his backlog of stuff that I have missed. So. Yeah, and so that's why it's for me it's it's good to reach out to people just outside your regular circles and the whole networking thing. Mm-hmm. The amount that you gain from like meeting other people is is tremendous. So. It really is. It's um, so that's kind of been one of the things about this this podcast is we are not we haven't intentionally just gone towards makers, even though we've we've interviewed quite a few of them. But we've tried to reach out to people who don't have Instagram channel or Instagram or YouTube channels or anything like that, and they're they're doing something that they're very passionate about. Um, but maybe people haven't heard of it. You know, as simple as uh, playing. You know playing in a bass, bass in, a, in a band or um, the entire band that uh, streams on Twitch regularly. I mean, that's it's such a niche thing that it's it's interesting. I don't know. It's yeah. uh, and it's interesting to be able to spread that out to more people and, and have them um, find things that they would have never found before, I guess. Yeah. You got an awesome thing going on. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you coming by. I mean, yeah, again, it's, it's, been, it's been great. Yeah, my pleasure. Safe travels, and uh, I can't wait to see what you do with your footage from this giant journey. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we'll I'll get up on YouTube soon enough. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to that episode of Origin Point. If you'd like to check out more of this interview and others like it, head over to Patreon.com/forward/slash/OriginPoint. We'd love to hear from you there and suggestions on who you would like to hear us interview next. And don't forget to subscribe, share, and review us on your favorite platform. Thanks for listening.